All right, good morning. This morning we'll be in Proverbs 19, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Proverbs 19. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning and this warm place to worship. And um, We're so thankful for what you provided for us and how you take care of us. And um, We just pray that you continue to be with us throughout this time as we've sung our songs to you and worshipped you with our voices and gave you the sacrifice of praise. And we know that your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, so that's exciting. Lord, that we're two or more gathered in your name. You're in our midst, so you're here. And I just pray that you'd bless us with your word now. Help us to have ears to hear, um, to be taught, to be instructed, to gain the wisdom that the wise gain. Um, We're here to listen, so help us to receive everything you have for us. Lord, we pray that you bless those that weren't able to make it. Help them to enjoy their uh, time with their family or at home uh, where they're warm. And um, for those watching online, God, we pray that you bless them and their families as they uh, uh, worship you uh, through... Through the internet, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Chapter 19. Um, he's going to hit on the poor. He's going to hit on the rich. He's going to hit on friends, fair weather friends. Many, many things here. And um, some of these verses go together, but they're separated by other verses. So I'm going to try to draw those together and make the connection, but... It's, uh, it's a little difficult. So bear with me as I try to go between these. For example, 4, 6, and 7 go together, but 5 is separate. So I'll do my best here as we go through. Verse 1. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. So I think that's important to set the tone because he's talking about, and we'll talk about later on in this chapter, how the poor lose friends and the rich gain friends. And he doesn't really make a distinction as to, oh, so is it the poor person's fault or the rich person's fault? You know, we automatically assume the rich guy or the the poor guy, you know, loses his friends because uh, he's got fair weather friends. Well, in this text, he doesn't exactly magnify that. So I think this first verse tells us, it it sets the tone, sets the temperature. Um, It would be better to be poor with integrity. So he's pro-poor, is what he's saying. Um, So as we go through the rest of this chapter, remember that. Now later on, he's going to be anti-lazy, and sometimes that translates into poor, um, but that's a whole different subject. So for now, let's stay focused on that. Better is a poor is the poor who walks in integrity. It's far better to not compromise and be poor than to compromise and be rich. Um, it's easy to do in business. Um, there's a lot that goes on, especially as you go higher and higher up on the food chain, as it were, um, with making money. More is expected. More, more dinners. You know, more uh, um, golf games, more things are done outside of the office, outside of a normal business relationship where that's fine, but oftentimes things get a little muddy when we're not in our formal attire, thinking of our integrity, you know, promises can be made or uh, shortcuts can be given at times. And the king is saying, when you become king, son, and so for us, as God calls us to be sons and daughters of his and wants us to rule and reign with him, make sure that you do that as a Christian with integrity. 
I would rather you have no people in your church and teach the Word of God faithfully and consistently than to have a bunch of people in the church and have everybody show up. We get flyers all the time here about how to grow your congregation. In fact, I saw I got another thing. Now I'm getting them through Instagram too, where they tell me, I can, I can bring, would you like me to bring to you 50 new families every week? Let me show you how. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the guy that's got five families is like, yeah, I'd love 50 new families every day, you know. Well, you look into it, and it has nothing to do with the Bible and the Word of God. It has nothing to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. It has to do with marketing. It has to do with um, <laughs> them doing an evaluation of your friendliness. And Well, that's a business plan. That's a business plan. And I believe that compromises what we're called to do. I mean, if Paul was to implement their business plan... I don't know that he'd ever have gotten stoned. He'd never gotten beat. He'd never gotten shipwrecked. He'd have never been arrested, you know. And some would say, good, you know. Um, I don't. I think, it's, I think it's wise, the way Paul ran his ministry, the way God calls us to. If Jesus was crucified for his ministry, I think that's important. Not that we all have to be crucified. He did have 5,000 people show up at his sermon, right? See? But they didn't stay. They, they looked at him for another meal. They looked at him for another miracle. They wanted another thing, but did they even hear the Sermon on the Mount that they were supposed to be listening to? Were their lives changed and transformed? Because what point is there of having a big, busy club if nobody's changed and transformed? So it's better to be poor with integrity than perverse with your lips and to be a fool. Verse 2. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. For he sins who hastens with his feet. The foolishness of a, of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. I think those two go together. We want to get knowledge. And where do you get your knowledge from? And if you tie it to verse 3, you get it from the Lord. You seek his counsel. You seek the counsel of godly people for sure, but you really need to hear from the Lord on these matters. And it takes patience to hear from God. God wants to have a slow conversation. He doesn't really get to the point a lot of times. You know, just matter of fact, hey, you know. Let's talk about things for a little bit. Let's sit down and eat together. Let's have some time. So it takes some patience. And what happens then in the process of, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to ask God for wisdom. And you've waited and you've waited and you've waited five minutes and you go and do your own thing anyway. That's... That's first of all, fretting against the Lord. I, mean, I don't know where he is. You know, I pushed the button. He didn't come. And also, um, it causes you to hasten with your feet. That's just foolishness. Hastening is a, a dangerous thing. It gets you into a lot of trouble. I've hastened many times in my life. Hastened into many car deals I shouldn't have gotten into. Hastened into many different things. And every one of them, <laughs> this is true. Verse 2 proved true. And I learned, well, it's funny. I learned, I don't remember. <laughs> you remember after you go through it again, oh, that's right, we've had this lesson, you know. I just didn't remember at the point of decision making. It's afterwards that I remember, oh, this is lesson, same lesson, third time. I had to take Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 twice in high school. 
with the tutor both times. I did fine with the tutor. I did not do fine with it. So it's not unusual for me to get many, many lessons or the same lesson over and over again. It's a pattern with, me, with my life. Don't twist your way. Mm. I hear people do this all the time. And, and I want you, and, and I'm not, I do it too. I, I, so I, I'm trying my best not to sound harsh this morning because it, it is just very matter-of-fact teachings. Uh, and, and I don't know if it makes you feel better to know that I've done it too because I'm not pointing the finger. I'm, but the twisting that takes place in our minds as Christians is, goes like this. I really feel like the Lord's told me to do this. Then it fails. And I say, I really feel the Lord's told me to stop doing this. Something's twisted there. And I'm not saying that we can't start and stop something. That can happen, but rarely. Rarely does God call us to do something, and then he doesn't show up and causes us to walk away. It's just a simple acknowledgement of, I didn't hear from the Lord the first time. God may have told me to stop, but he probably never told me to start. That's the key. Or, he did tell us to start, it got hard, and we figured in our mind, twisting it a little bit, I don't think God would ever want me to have to go through this kind of trouble for something like this. So I think he's telling me to quit. That's a twisting too. Things are hard. Ministry is hard. Look at anybody in the Bible and show me where anybody had an easy ministry and were faithful. Nobody. It's a very difficult thing. Um, Jesus had difficulties. Paul had difficulties. Peter had difficulties. Every single person, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Saul even at times, you know, when he was doing the right thing. Everybody had difficulties. Even, even poor old Abel. All he did was offer up the right sacrifice and he got killed for his troubles, you know. I don't know that God would have me die for... He did other people. So be careful about that twisting. It's okay to be wrong, just own it, is all. It's the twisting of, I've never been wrong. I was wrong, I was right about the call, I was right about the quit, I was right about the, no, no, no. Don't twist it. You're not helping yourself or anybody else. So, a foolishness. It's foolish to twist those things. Verse 4, wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friends. Verse 6, I'm going to skip really quick, just to many entreat the favor of nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. Verse 7, how much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. I think he's pro-poor here, based off of verse 1, trying to interpret Scripture in context here. Later on, we'll talk about laziness, and it's, it's easy to connect those two, but it's not always the case. This is poverty. Um, if you lose a friend because of your poverty, we all know the answer. They probably were never your friend, okay? The only time that would not be true, I think, in my opinion, is when, as a poor person, you're constantly going to your rich friend and using them like an ATM, in a sense. Can I please, and more, and gimme, and whatever. After a while, the rich friend begins to feel like, you're not my friend, you know. 
And so they could separate because of that. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's telling his son, poverty will certainly weed out true friends from false friends. It just does. If you can hang out with somebody of a, of a lower economic place and still have a great time and you're still friends and it has nothing to, money doesn't even come up, that's a true friend, you see. But when groups get together, I, 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 sometimes I read you know, uh, economic magazines, things like that. I'm not going to name any specific ones, but Barron's or something like that. You'll read stories of the billionaires going on their jet trips together or meeting in the woods for their wonderful whatever it is they're meeting there for. Weird stuff, you know. They're trying to probably be unheard. Um, But when you come together because you all happen to have that many zeros and not because of your personality or not because of your common beliefs, that's a weird thing to come together for. I like the Olympics. I'm excited for the Paris Olympics. Um, I, I, I just do. I still, if I can figure out how to get it on my TV, it's just not easy anymore like it used to be. It's always on NBC. There's always that skier that comes down, the defeat, the agony of defeat. And we'd always watch him crash and be like, oh, God, that bad to hurt. And I just loved that as a kid. Now it's hard to find. Anyway, when you watch the Olympics and I watch all the other countries and they march in, and maybe you've noticed this, but everybody from China, and this isn't racist, but looks Chinese. It's not hard to tell. There ain't a black guy in the bunch. There isn't. There's no diversity at all. There's nothing there. But after you watch the Swedes come in, I mean, every blonde and blue-eyed person, that you know, everyone, then you see Americans walk in, you're like, what a bumbling, beautiful mess. As all these different people come in, you've got, well, you've got everybody. I'm going to leave it there. It's just wonderful. I just love watching that. And see, that's, and I'm not saying that America is the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is a lot like that. It should be that kind of blend in a, in a room like this, you know? You could have millionaires over here. You could have people that are on food stamps over here temporarily, hopefully, but maybe, you know? You've got Medicare. You know, the senior citizens that have, have paid their way and made their way, and then you've got the Medicaid. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this kind of stuff. But nobody's talking about that. We're just worshiping Jesus together, you know. That huge spectrum is the way it's supposed to be. Coming together in the commonality of Jesus Christ and the worship of the true and living God. That's why we come together. As nothing else is. Shouldn't have those kind of groups even within the body of Christ, you know. Very dangerous clicks, little people that you just always cling to because they're just like you, you know, kind of thing. Well, everybody's worshiping Jesus. We all ought to be able to talk to everybody, you know, kind of thing. So wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friends and so on. Now back to verse five, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who speaks lies will not escape. Now this goes along with verse nine also, but I'll hit that later. Um, a false witness. Lying is a big deal in Scripture. We don't make it a big deal in our lives necessarily. We don't talk about, we talk about murder, we talk about adultery, but lying is one of them. It's one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's one of the top things. And uh, so in John chapter 8, verse 44, that's my cross reference for this. And this is important to understand why lies are so 
horrible, uh, so, such an abomination. You are of your father, the devil, Jesus says. And the desires of your father, the devil, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, Cain and Abel. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. In other words, God didn't give him the ability to speak from a lie. He creates that lie himself. We create sin. Satan creates sin. Of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When I lie, when we lie, we are acting like not our father in heaven, but we are doing the will of another father, okay? It's a horrible thing to do, to emulate him of all people. And so that's why it's such a vital thing to know um, and to understand and to recognize in your own life and to get that straightened out. It can almost be a habit of stretching the truth. And we'd use all sorts of words for it other than the actual word lie. I'm always amazed as you watch politicians talk about each other. Well, Bob, I think he's telling a falsehood. What? It's a falsehood. It's a, it's a, and what are so many other things. Well, I know what he means and I know why they can't say the word lie because it's a lawsuit. Falsehood isn't a lawsuit, but saying they're a liar is a lawsuit. It's defamation of character, but a falsehood isn't defamation of character. It's funny how we just try to find the loopholes and try to, no, he lied. Say it, you know, it's not a falsehood. It's a lie. Well, those are the same things. Then why can't you say lie if it's the same thing? Because it's not. First Timothy chapter 4 tells us this about the last days. In fact, it's entitled the great apostasy, the great walking away from the faith, people leaving God. It's one of the symptoms. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, the apostasy, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We focus on the marriage and the food thing, and we kind of, I know who that is kind of thing. No, the main indicator is that they're speaking lies in hypocrisy during the apostasy. So when I find myself or we find ourselves watching the world becoming less truth, truthful, more, more of liars, and I find myself almost falling into that category, it's, we're in a dangerous slippery place of being like the apostates, walking away from God. Every lie moves me away from my heavenly father and towards the other father I don't want to be a part of, Satan. It's a big deal. Um, Verse 8, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. Always a good idea to gain more knowledge. Truth, I should say. Uh, There's a lot of knowledge out there that's not truth. So we want to gather truth. So gather that wisdom and get that understanding. One of the, uh, in the parable of the sower, when the, when the seed is cast onto the, the hard ground, you know, where it never actually gets into the soil, he, when he explains it, he says, those are the ones that heard the word of God and didn't understand it. 
And it's almost like, was it not explained to them correctly? Um, are they just kind of thick? You know, are they a little slow? Do they not have nothing to do with that because we're supposed to have childlike faith? You don't need a lot of uh, IQ points to understand the gospel. The understanding is a, a choice. When they heard the word of God, it didn't apply to them. They didn't see how it would fit. There was no understanding as to why are you telling me this is the idea behind that word understanding. They understood the words. We know what you're talking about, but I don't know how that in the world could apply to me. I have no understanding of that. Well, anybody that's humble would know they gain wisdom and they keep understanding and you'll find good. Always put yourself in that place of being taught. And then verse 9, which goes along with that verse 5, the lying. A false witness will not go unpunished. It's the same way verse 5 starts, but he says something different. Not only in verse 5 will he not escape, he shall perish in verse 9. It brings death. It's that serious of a deal. All right, verse 10. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. Now, a picture comes to my mind instantly, luxury, you know. There's a lot of different versions of that. The Amish would look at me and say, look at you, Mr. High and Mighty. I don't see myself that way, you know. And then I look at other people, look at you, Mr. High and Mighty, but they don't see themselves that way. So you, you try to figure out what is he talking about? What does luxury look like on a fool? Sometimes. People have so much money, they don't know what to do with it. So they start, and I, 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 clothing is the biggest thing for me. They start wearing things that just look ridiculous. There, there's this puffer coat that's out there now for the very, very wealthy, very wealthy. And the sleeves are about a foot too long, right? So they walk around and they, they dangle. And it's huge. And they're walking around like they have just, because they're wearing a status symbol, I get all that, and there's you know, tags out. I don't think they say that anymore, but it's the brand that matters. And there they are walking, but they look like an orangutan or like one of those, you, know, you ever see those inflatable gorillas, you know, that they have, and they're walking around doing that? Well, that's what it looks like. And I thought, oh, luxury looks really stupid on you. It just does. I don't care about the money, and I don't care whether you have a Rolex or a Timex. I don't think that should matter. Um, that isn't the, the, the important part. The important part of this, it just, it, it's not fitting for a fool. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do with it. And when they do have that tool in their hand, it, it just looks foolish on them because they use it foolishly. And so he says, and he likens it to, it's like a servant ruling over princes. It doesn't make sense. The princes are, should have that as, um, as kings and queens in God's economy, which is what he calls us. It's foolish and, and looks foolish when servants, unbelievers are ruling over us. You know, I don't think we're always trying to be humble. I don't want to. Well, when you walk into a room as a child of God, you are the smart or should be the smartest person in the room, the wisest person in the room. You should be. It's automatic because you're a child of the most high God. If you've done what you're supposed to do as a child of God, which is the idea. Sometimes princes are lazy. Sometimes they don't carry themselves like they're supposed to. Sometimes they do need a wise servant to rule over them, but that looks bad. The prince should know how to carry himself, and so should we. Verse 11, 
The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his his behavior is like the dew of the grass. There is a a distinction. There is a a person who has um, authority, godly authority, knows when to roar and when not to. And if you hear them roar, there must be something really wrong because they never roar is the idea. It's very rare to catch a lion roaring in the wild. For the most part, 99% of the time, they're quiet. and They just walk around. It's only when necessary do they make that sound. And that's the idea. Slow to anger. That shouldn't be our go-to. It shouldn't be our instant. Um, there are some people in my lives that if I ever saw them angry, I'd, I'd be you know, guns out, because <laughs> they're never that way. And if they're that way, something really must be wrong. Then there's other people that are hot all the time, and it's just, yeah, whatever, you know, you're always mad. When aren't you mad, kind of thing. When aren't you upset, kind of thing. That's the idea. Discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. You have discretion. You use it carefully, sparingly. His glory is to overlook a transgression. Eh, you know. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example that'll convict some of us. I won't look at anybody in the eye because I don't know how you drive. But it's the, it's the bright light flashing thing, you know. I have a car, I have a truck that's high, first of all, and it has the brighter new lights on it. Everybody and their brother thinks I am just blinding them in an oblivion to the fact that I have my brights on, and I don't. I don't have them on. And so I'm going up towards Hopkins, and there's always this, you know, I'm just going there. Okay, now I could, I could blind him if I wanted to and let him know, no, this is what aircraft landing lights look like, you know, boom. And I'm just like, okay, now I just squint and go past them. They just don't know, and I understand why they think that. Their lights are like yellow, and you can barely see them, you know, kind of thing, because they're driving a 1940 Cutlass or 86 Cutlass. Fine. If you drive a Cutlass, they're great cars. Don't be offended. But the lights aren't very bright. So anyway, I could respond, you know, oh, yeah? What do you think of that? <laughs> Off into the ditch they go. <laughs> you know, that's what brights look like. No, just they don't know. And that takes training because my flesh says, show them. Show them. And my, the Spirit's like, Why? They're just, they don't understand. They don't know. It's without knowledge. Just let it go. So that battle happens. I usually win for the most part. The spirit usually wins, I should say. That's a very mild version of what we're talking about here. Um, just slow to anger, overlooking transgressions, overlooking people's misunderstandings. Uh, they misunderstood. I want them to know and I want them to understand me. Uh, but... I'd be doing that all day long if you have to explain yourself all the time. It's like, I just have to let it go. You've got to let it go. That's important. Um, verse 13. A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Mm. Now, this again, try not to be mean, because I don't want to be mean. It's not about that. Um, there's two sides to this. And so I'm going to start off with both sides and then I'm going to focus on the wives like the scriptures tell us to. Um, Guys, don't be the guy that needs to have a contentious wife. 
Don't be the guy that's always having to be prodded by her, always had to be moved by her. You don't move unless she's contentious, you know. Listen to her still sweet voice when she asks you the first time, and she won't have to get contentious. Not that you have to obey her, but you understand her needs, her desires, something she needs you to do. Great, you know. So let's start off there. On the other hand, don't be the wife that's constantly dripping, it's, it, it's never enough. It's, it's, there's always something more. The list is never completed. There's never a time where uh, uh, we're in the same room where something isn't asked. You know, Don't be that continual dripping. Don't be that contentious wife. Always having to ask. A man wants to come home to a house that's peaceful wants to come home to a sanctuary, wants to come home where he doesn't have to fight or do battle like he's had to do all day long, you know? And so make that place for him, make that opening for him, that, that space that he can have. And, and it may or may not happen. He, the, the, the king is telling his son, this is just how it is. Be careful who you marry because if she's contentious while you're dating her, it's just going to be the same later because she's not going to be as enamored with you as things go on, in the sense that she's not trying to get you, you know, not trying to woo you, not trying to keep you. Well, she's got you now, and and now it's just nothing but the worst parts of the date that you had, you know. Be careful of that. This goes right along with Proverbs 21.9. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. A man just wants to get out. I think that's why we have the increase of man caves, Honestly, it's cute, it's funny, it's quaint. There's a reason. (laughs) This is my place, this is my spot. I don't have to hear all of that. This is my corner of my rooftop. Oh yeah, well I'm getting a she shed, you know. Great. That's the other side of this story, you know. I don't have to look at your ugly face anymore. Oh, you know, (laughs) this is my space, this is where I do my things. And you don't get to come in here, you know, Mm -mm. That's not what God designed marriage. So let me finish up with the wives here, and I'll focus maybe a little bit on the men, but not too much because the scriptures are talking about the wives here. You are not your husband's parent or his teacher. He is not a child of yours. He is to be the leader of the house. He's supposed to anyway. Whether he is or not makes no difference. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's supposed to be. And the last thing you want is, well, I ain't got a man that's going to lead, so I help him and prod him and move him. No, you don't have a leader yet. You have a puppet. You have a puppet. And you get frustrated when that puppet doesn't do what you tell him to do. It's a very dangerous place to be. You are not his parent and you're not his teacher. God is. How do I get my husband to change then if I'm not his teacher, if I'm not the one, you know? You'll see that on TV all the time in almost every one of the... You think, I got him like this? I made him like this. When I first married him, he was this. Look at him now. Look what I've created. You hear yourself? You know? Look what I've done. God is his teacher. And you want him to. Oh, God, bring me a godly man. Okay, But that means that man's going to listen to God over you. He's going to put God as a priority over you. He's going to learn from God, maybe not the things you think he should be learning, maybe not at the speed you think he should be learning, but he's learning from God. He's placed himself at the feet of Jesus. You have to let him grow with Christ. 
and be pleased with it and be a happy wife. I've got a godly man who's praying and seeking the Lord. And when he makes mistakes, I go with him into those mistakes as his cheerleader, not as a critic. So important. As a man walks with the Lord, he will walk in the spirit some days, he will walk in the flesh some days, but he is trying to obey the voice of his father, to learn the voice of his shepherd, to know what was of his flesh and what isn't, and what he needs is support as he does this task, which is a very hard thing to do. Avoid that. Be your husband's biggest cheerleader, not his biggest critic. So important. Now, as men... There's things we can do. Does she know that you're praying about a matter? Does she know that you feel like the Lord showed you to do this? Are you, are you communicating to her that you aren't just operating in the flesh? Because it's a scary thing for her to place herself in your hands. To be your helpmeet, that's a hard thing, you know? I'll give it to you this way. As a man who's worked for an employer and you're not so sure the employer's thinking straight, it's hard to just do as you're told to do on that day at work when you know it's not going to work. But I'm not the boss. I'm going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to let the chips fall where they may, and maybe we'll do better next time. That's a hard thing. You hate that as a man. Think of your wife also. Communicate to her. Let her know I'm doing my best. Acknowledge when you fail to her. Ask her forgiveness. I know you've hitched your wagon to my train. I'm so sorry that I brought you into this. This was not my intent. I thought it was going this way. Will you forgive me for bringing you into this horrible situation? Of course, honey, it should be the response. I love you. You'll do better next time. You'll make a better decision next time. Not that I told you, you know, I told you this wouldn't work. Yeah, you did. Maybe we should be following you instead of you following me. And the roles get reversed. And that's happy for a while. Finally. Okay, now this is what we should be doing. No, 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 no. Watch me. See how this works? It works this way. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. And now you've got a man that doesn't want to step up anymore, is afraid to step up, is afraid to be the conqueror that he used to be, the adventurer that he used to be, the entrepreneur, the go-getter that he used to be, because he's scared to death of what's going to be said if he fails. Better not to try. Better just to do what she wants to do. Happy wife, happy life kind of thing. And now you've role reversed. Yeah, it's scary. (laughs) And there's a lot of mistakes, and some of them are big, you know. But you want to reflect, and you want to be what the Bible tells us to be as a husband and a wife. It isn't an easy thing. It's a hard ministry. It is. Verse 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Guys, remember that. Your wives are prudent. Part of being a good, or remember when you worked for the good boss who'd ask you because you were boots on the ground? You know, hey, uh, I was going to do this. Now, I don't know what that looks like when you actually go out in the field and do this. Will this work? I'm glad you asked. I think it's a great idea, boss, because you respect him now because he's asked you. Here's what's going to happen, though. When I go out and do this, I need that ladder or I need that truck or we need these tools or I've got to have these parts, whatever it may be. Oh, I'm so glad I asked. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. 
Great, thank you. Still making the decision, still in charge, respecting the prudent employee, right? And not that wives are employees, don't get me wrong, but they have wisdom for us to gain from, you know? Hey, that's, a, that's what I'm thinking of doing. That's what I feel like God's calling me to do. Am I, am I thinking of all the aspects? What are some of the things that I might not be thinking of? Can you see any problems? Can you have, you have any foresight, you know? No, it looks good. It's okay to say that, wives. No, I think it's good. Not, oh, I don't know about that. Well, if you don't know and your husband thinks you should do it, then it's okay. You know? It's only when you see something, you know? That's horrible. I don't think we should do that. Or this is the, this is the situation. I think this might come up. Oh, I'm glad I, I didn't even think about that, you know? Good, good, good. A prudent wife. Good to have. Houses and riches are the inheritance from a father. I think that's the fourth time we've read that in Proverbs. Um, first of all, that fathers should be giving an inheritance to their kids. I think that's important. And we want them to make it on their own. We want them to make their own choices and their own decisions and make their own way in life. I think that's good. But I think there's nothing wrong with giving them security. There's nothing wrong with giving them a little bit that gives them a platform from which they can grow from as well. Very important. I don't understand these billionaires who are like, I'm getting rid of everything. My kid's going to have to make it on his own. Oh, I bet your relationship's great with your kids. You know, the kids are probably so used to that. They're like, yeah, whatever. I just, scripture tells us this. The wife can only come from the Lord. That's a blessing and invaluable and without, um, without comparison. Uh, houses and riches, they come from fathers. They're the ones that bring it and give it to their kids. Verse 15, laziness. Now we're moving into it. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. <laughs> we won't get to it today. I don't, we, we might. We'll see. Later on, he says that uh, <laughs> a lazy man buries his hand, is verse 24. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. What a picture, right? I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Oh, it's so far away, you know, kind of thing. I can't do it. That's a lazy man. And he's making a joke, obviously. No one's that lazy, but... If it's within your reach to go do it, but it's outside and it requires sweat, you know, we had a, we were more snowed in than we thought we were out at the farm, you know. Um, Usually I could just, as long as I got enough speed and I take the traction control off the truck, I'm okay and you can just blast through everything, you know. I backed out, that was my first mistake, to make my three-point turn to make a run for it and I didn't even up I'm like oh and then you spin so now there's no traction in all four tires and you're just resting on your frame so that's fine and you figure so you rock a little bit so that the frame squishes the snow down until your tires gain traction again then they just pulled up into the driveway and I needed to call somebody this ain't happening you know so I put it out on Facebook I said hey I need someone in Hopkins that wants to you know make some money and, and blast me out of my driveway or anybody want to do that and Adam James said hey there's a kid in Hopkins um, that's doing these things. So I, I called this kid up. He picks up on the first ring. And he's not out of breath and saying, huh, what? What do you need? I don't know. I, I don't know. I get to, yeah. Clear as a bell. He stopped his truck and talked to me. He goes, hello. Just clear as a bell. High school kid. I said, hey, I know you're probably swamped. I said, but if you can get over here uh, to where I live, I'd, I'd love for you to 
plow me out if you can put me on your list or whatever. He goes, I'm doing somebody right now. I'll be out there in a few minutes. I said, do you need my address? You're at the old Scarborough place, aren't you? Oh, gee whiz. Yeah, I am. Okay. So he knew me. This kid pulls in with two of his buddies, all with trucks, and they just start just like just blasting through. They got stuck wrapping chains around each other, yanking each other out. Just three or four times they had to pull each other out to get us through all these drifts and stuff. And they came in, and he walks up, knocks on my door, and I open it. I said, oh, man, looks great. You guys did a great job. Took them an hour and a half probably to plow us out with three trucks with plows. It's just, it's, thanks, man. That was great. What do I owe you? you know, well, how does $80 sound? I said, 80 bucks. I said, dude, not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. You know, amazing. That is a kid where this proverb would never apply. Never apply. So lazy that he put, uh, there is snow drifts and old men like me just waiting to be plucked, you know, <laughs> just waiting. And he knew it and he went out and he got his buddies and they had a ball doing it and they made money and I mean more money than they probably made all summer long mowing lawns doing that thing. Good for you guys. Wonderful, wonderful. There are people that the money's just there to be made, to earn, to go get. And I don't know. They, they start at 7 a.m. This, this applies to them then. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Now, here's the scriptures for this. Proverbs 30, 15, the leech has two daughters, give, give. Make no mistake about it. If you are a continual, lazy, poverty-stricken person, lazy being an operative word, and you're more, 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 the Proverbs, the Scriptures, our Father in Heaven says, the leech has two daughters, give and give. There are times when we need to help, and people need help always. I needed help getting out of my driveway. Couldn't do it myself. Glad someone came. Hey, people have that financial need sometimes. That's okay. Wonderful. Not all the time. In Proverbs, or no, it's in, uh, I think I wrote Proverbs and I didn't mean to. I don't know the, I don't know the book, sorry. It's <laughs> chapter 30, verses 6 through 12, but it's, it's not Proverbs. Here's what he says. Um, he, it's, I, I assume it's Paul. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw, pull yourself away from, separate yourself from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. In other words, if a brother in the Lord is not walking the way we exemplified in their presence, walk away from them. They didn't learn. And here's what he means by disorder. The very next verse. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat." He commanded them that, not asked, not just showed in his own existence. He says, look, you need to be working. 
I don't care if you make a million dollars or five bucks, but you need to be doing something. If you're sitting around, you can be hungry, is the idea. Scripture teaches us that. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. They're in the way of everybody else's life. Hey, man, what you doing? I'm working. What do you need? You know, I don't know. I just wonder if you want to jack around. But I don't have time. I got to work. Do you have a job? You know, I don't have any time but to bug you. Okay. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Should we on our part help people that need help? Absolutely. But the people that need help need to do everything in their strength and, pos- and, and ability to get their own bread. And if they're not doing that, that's a dangerous thing. You're not helping them. You're enabling them to sit at home. Okay. I know that's a harsh thing sometimes, but it needs to be said. Scripture teaches us to work hard. If you can't and there's something prohibiting it, that's a whole different story. He's talking about able-bodied people not trying and expecting to receive. Dangerous. Not what God teaches, not what Jesus teaches at all. Okay. Verse 16, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. You need to keep these commandments. In other words, do them. It doesn't do any good to have the Bible. He wants us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Verse 17, he who has pity on the poor, yes, lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Keep, see the balance here, I hope. You know, hope we see the balance here. You should absolutely help the poor and not expect anything in return. You're lending to the Lord. God saw that you helped those impoverished, and he's going to pay you back whether they do or not. He'll make sure of it, always, always takes care of us. And so he wants them to know that. Don't ever not have pity on the poor. Have pity on the poor, always. Verse 18, chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Or in Jewish times, if, if, if you had a kid that was so bad, they would take him outside the city and stone him to death because they didn't want it to spread to the other kids, the, the teenagers and so on. That's the idea. So the writer here is saying, Please make the effort. Please not shy away from the work of raising kids. It's work. It's a dangerous thing when you get so tired. Oh, I just can't fight them anymore. I'm just going to let them do what they want to do. That's the person who is set on the destruction of their children. They're going to end up in jail. They're going to end up miserable. They're going to end up away from the Lord, worst of all. You know. So we're called to this. Chasten your son while there is hope. While there's hope, because apparently there's a time when mm, there's nothing I can do about it. The scripture I have for that is Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly, quickly. You don't let the children run the house. You can't let the children run the house. It's so bad for them. They need boundaries. They need limits. They need authority over them. There comes a time when they do grow out of that. And they're able to monitor their own lives and and regulate their own lives. But until that happens, we're called as parents. And it it is 24-7. Please chasten your sons and raise your children while there's hope so that there's not destruction waiting for them, you know? 
It's a dangerous thing. And that's where we're going to close today. I th- think I can make it through the rest of the chapter because we have communion now. So if the guys, guys who are here, uh, we don't need as many guys because there aren't as many people this morning, but we'll pass out the elements of communion and we'll talk about it a little bit and then we'll take together here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, Paul describes what we're doing here explains it, gives us some insight. For I, Paul, received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we do this this morning, we're doing this in remembrance of Christ's death on the cross. The forgiveness of sins comes through his broken body and through his shed blood. It always will and it always has. We never gain any more salvation than when we first believed. We're more imitators of Christ. We become more conformed into his image. But the salvation is always the same. And it always rests upon what we're doing here. The remembrance of the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection, of course. And so as we eat and drink, let's remember that the the salvation that we have in Christ is permanent forever. uh, And it's all at his hand and by his work. Lord, we thank you for this broken bread that we're about to eat that reminds us of your broken body. We thank you for this little cup of juice that's been shared with us from people's hands to us, and we remember receiving the the blood, Lord. We remember receiving your uh, forgiveness of sins from the blood that was shed on the cross, your blood. You took our penalty, and we thank you for that this morning. We acknowledge that, we remember that, and it humbles us. Um, we may know more about Scripture. We may be more mature in the faith, but it also, this time, reminds us that we're, we're still saved by grace, saved by your unmerited favor, saved by your work, saved by your hand. And we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're watching online and you weren't able to do that and you'd like to, we'll have this set up um, tomorrow. If you can make it out tomorrow, the doors will be open and we'll have the the remainder of the communion laying out for you to take on your own. Um, there's nothing special about it. It's just available for you if you if you feel more comfortable or need a quiet place to have that time with God. Otherwise, you can do it at home if you haven't already. And uh, just enjoy that time of remembering his crucifixion and resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for our time with each other and uh, with you. Thank you for teaching us, showing us new things, convicting us, encouraging us in all the ways that your word does. We pray that you keep these things in our hearts. We pray that your word did land on good soil this morning, that it would be able to germinate and have uh, take root and bear fruit in our lives. God, we, we want to be better husbands and wives. We want to be better parents. We want to be better friends to those who are poor, to those who are rich. It shouldn't make any difference, God. Help us to see people the way you see people, souls, children of yours, brothers and sisters that love you. Help us to love them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.